Soren Kierkegaard once said, if you have any knowledge at all of human nature, you know those who only admire the truth when danger appears become traitors. The admirers infatuated with the false security of greatness, if there is any inconvenience or trouble, he pulls back. Admiring the truth instead of following it is just as dubious as the fire of erotic love, which at the turn of the hand can be changed into exactly the opposite. Christ never asked for admirers. Jesus Christ consistently spoke of followers. Another Christian author writes this, Jesus has many who love his kingdom in heaven, but few who bear his cross. Many who desire comfort, but few suffering. He finds many to share in his feast, but few his fasting. All desire to rejoice with him, but few are willing to suffer for his sake. Many follow Jesus to the breaking of bread, but few to the drinking of the cup of his passion. Many admire his miracles, but few follow him in the humiliation of the cross. Are you an admirer? Or are you a follower? Think after this book, we know exactly what that looks like, and we're going to see even further what that looks like today. There will be two ways that explain to us the principle of following, what it does look like and what it does look like, and then we're going to sum all of this up with a question. First way that we see. What it means to follow Jesus, it means to trust his plan for your life. It means to follow him wherever he leads, verses 18 through 19. Talking to Peter, he continues, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now, this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Two times in this passage, that command comes up. The first time, follow me. The second time, you follow me, Peter. That is the, the sum of the thrust of this passage. The first time, he describes Peter's life. The second time, he describes John's life. And here we have the principles of what it looks like to following Jesus. Following Jesus means that we trust the plan that he has for our life, no matter where it leads us. Guy talks about running a marathon. We're going to be using the race illustration a lot in this, in this passage. And he says, when he, when he prepares, he trains as hard as possible. He said, but there's this part of the marathon that is always hard to prepare for. 
The marathon is a little over 26 miles, many of you know. But experts tell you that when you train, only run 20. This means that the last six miles of the marathon are what they call no man's land. You don't know what you are getting yourself into. You may hit a wall. You may have cramps. You do know one thing. It is going to be very difficult. You try your best to prepare so that you are able to cross that glorious finish line. Then he talks about what preparing is for us spiritually. And the one thing that he says that stands out that we see in this passage is we prepare by resting in the fact that God is sovereign and whatever happens to us is part of his plan. We trust that we are taken care of and we are safe in his hands. No matter what he has planned for us. God has a specific road for each of us to run on. And guess what? It is going to look different as we are going to see than the other roads that other Christians are running on. He has a specific plan and a purpose, and he knows exactly when that road ends, just like he tells Peter. He knows how it's going to end, he knows when it's going to end, and he knows everything in between, doesn't he? We don't know that. Now, Peter was able to find that out, which is kind of nice. I wish Jesus would tell me exactly how I'm going to die, because that's what he tells Peter here. And there's some interesting principles that we see that come up and what it means to follow him. Notice, notice what he says to Peter about when he was younger. And we see one of the first principles that come up and what it means to, to follow him. And I think we get this idea of following Jesus and Jesus is far ahead of us and we're trying to keep up in this race and we're like, slow down, Jesus, we can't go that fast. And, and that's not what it means to follow him. As a matter of fact, it can kind of, kind of be translated, follow along with me or let, me, let him follow with me. So the idea is walking alongside Jesus on this path that he has for us. And Jesus is leading and guiding us. But as we're walking with him, what are we doing? We're doing exactly what Peter's doing with him right now. He's doing what? He's talking. He's fellowshipping with him. And Jesus is teaching him. And we see that the, the physical, what is happening in real life for Peter, is actually what happens for us in a spiritual sense. That following Jesus is walking alongside of him in this road. It is, it's fellowshipping with him, isn't it? It's getting to know him. And we don't know where he's going to take us, but we trust the one that we're with. And we know that he's going to lead and guide us into the place that brings him glory and is for our good. Easier said than done, isn't it? And we see what it looks like, particularly when he says to Peter, when you were younger, you used to do, what did we used to do when we were younger? Where would we go when we were younger, when we were not believers in Jesus Christ? Maybe you were, maybe you were a believer when you were young, 
But apart from Christ, how did we live our life? We did whatever we wanted, right? We went whatever we went wherever we wanted. We we did whatever we wanted to whom we whatever whoever we wanted to and however we wanted to. We were free. That's what he says to Peter. When you were younger, you used to gird yourself, you used to do all this stuff, you went wherever you, you wanted to. But I tell you this, it's going to be different when you're older. Someone's going to take you where you don't want to go. I think it summed up the world's idea of, of life in the poem Invictus, isn't it? I don't know if you've heard that poem. But how, how does he end that? I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That is not the case for Christians. People love this. This is what it means to have freedom in, in the world. As a matter of fact, Oprah Winfrey said that she would, she would quote this to herself almost every day. And this was how she became successful in life. Folks, that is not the path to success for Christianity. And this, this mindset seems to be seeping into the church. Following Jesus Christ is not raising our hands and making a decision one day and then going about and doing whatever we want for the rest of our lives. That's not what it means to follow Him. Following Him means denying ourselves. Following Him means sacrificing our will to His. That is at the heart of following Him. Following Him means following Him into areas that we may not have desired. That's exactly what is going to happen to Peter. It's not that he doesn't want to glorify God in this way, but it is not something that we would choose for ourselves, is it? And we see this principle of suffering that comes up in our following Jesus Christ, and we see that it's in this principle of suffering and suffering for His sake in which God is glorified. Paul talks about Knowing Christ, and one of the ways in which that we can we better know Jesus as we walk alongside Him on the, in this road is through what? Is through suffering. It's not a way we would choose, but that's the one of the ways that God uses the most in our lives to drive us closer to Him. If you look at the book of Job, Job goes through this horrendous suffering. But what does Job say at the end of it when God reveals himself to him? He says, I've heard of you, but now I know you. That's what it means to follow Christ. It means to get to know him better. It's this deep personal relationship in which we abandon all dependence on ourselves and others and we cast ourselves on Him and through that suffering, through those trials, we become conformed to His image and see His glory all the more better. That's what it means to follow Him. It means following Him in this suffering. 
through suffering, and it brings about one of the greatest purposes of the Christian life, and that's to glorify God. We bring Him glory by suffering for Him, denying ourselves, and trusting in His plan. He tells Peter how he's going to die. The early church fathers are unanimous in claiming that Peter died by crucifixion during the persecution of Nero in A.D. 64. This literally happens to Peter. He was bound and taken where he did not want to go. One of the things that we see that stands out in this is from beginning to end, our times are in whose hands? His hands. Psalm 139 All my days, every single last one of my days were written in your book before there was one of them. Do you believe that? you trust that? He knows what is going to happen to you tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen to you next week. He knew what was going to happen in Lewiston. We have to trust that. He knew the number of those individual days. None of your times are out of his hands. We don't know what those days are going to look like, but we do know some of them are going to be what? Pretty tough. And we tend to think that when we're going through suffering that God has just put us aside, that he's not using us. And, and, and I know there are so many people in this church right now that are suffering. I know that. Don't think God's putting you, put you aside. As a matter of fact, he's now giving you the privilege to, to know him better to know Christ better, and to bring Him glory through your pain and suffering, to follow Him. We do not know what's around the next corner, but we walk with the one who does. He knows. He knows, and He's going to make sure that you make it safely home, isn't He? It's going to be hard. We're going to question Him. We're going to try to veer off and, and, and go our own way, maybe even get lost for a period of time. He knows every dark corner, every bright and sunny stretch. He knows all the felled trees. 
all the dangers on the path, and He promises to walk with you each and every step of the way. Our goal is to keep following, no matter where He takes us. John Broadus says this, Everything in this world is in danger of failing, except one thing. A man or woman who is really living to glorify God. That man or woman will not fail. That end will be accomplished. And then he goes on. It is not for the laborer in the vineyard to choose for himself where he will work, but to only work where he is placed. We know not what awaits us, but if in simplicity and godly sincerity in such calling and circumstances as providence assigns us, we do to make it our aim to glorify God, then whatever crashes and falls around us, life will not be a failure. Amen? But we will show our love and glorify our Savior. We follow Him to His glory. That will not fail. Our goal is to keep our eyes fixed on Him as He leads us. Something that Peter just has a hard time doing. The second aspect of following Him, so we trust His plan for our life. we we got to keep our eyes fixed on Him, though, so we, we are not concerned with His plan for others. Verses 20 through 25. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple. Notice, and, and everything that's happening physically in this story is what we should not be doing spiritually. So Peter turns around, he sees John, the one who had leaned on his back, at, on, on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, well, what about this guy? And Jesus says, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Therefore, this saying went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is testifying these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. There are also many other things which Jesus did, and if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. I shared this a while back, but you might have forgotten it, so I feel like it applies much better in this context. So, I'm going to share this story again. This is John Landy and Roger Bannister. I don't know if anyone heard of this story before or seen the the outcome of it. Uh, Both men had broken the four-minute barrier previously that year. Bannister was the first to break the mark with... Uh, a three-minute, 59-second, four, uh, 59 four-tenths of a second mile. 
And then later on, Landy became the, the record holder with three minute 58 seconds. That's a really fast mile. I challenge anyone to break that in here. So, so don't break your leg as you try to do that. So they raced together. It's a big race. 35,000 enthusiastic fans looked on. No one knew what would take place. It was promoted as the mile of the century or the miracle mile later on. With only 90 yards to go in one of the, mo- the world's most memorable races, John Landy, you can see him there, glanced over his left shoulder to check his opponent's position. What do you think happened? He lost. He lost. And he had actually said, if, if, if I did not do that, I would have won if I hadn't looked back. Later on, Vancouver sculptor Jack Hartman crafted a bronze sculpture of the two men captured in that critical moment. Landy said of the sculpture, while Lot's wife was the only one who was turned into a pillar of salt for looking back, I'm probably the only one who was turned into a pillar of bronze for looking back. Don't look back. What does Peter do? He looks, and he, there's John. He's like, well, what, what about this guy, Jesus? What about John, Jesus? And Jesus basically says, Nanya, Peter. Peter, that is Nanya business. <laughs> Don't worry about... I'm sorry, I had to. Don't worry about John. You keep your eyes fixed on me. James Boyce tells a story, he said he's walking down the street and he's following some guy and he does exactly what Peter does. He looks to his side and then he turns back and he smashes right into a pole. (laughs) Folks, we're going to get hurt when we take our eyes off of Jesus Christ. Don't worry about what God is doing in the lives of others. And, And this principle comes out in a lot of different ways in the church. Lives and ministries, guess what, are going to look different. Our job is to keep our eyes fixed on him and not worry about the others that are running the race. Now, that doesn't mean we don't correct people if they're sinning or try to help them when they stumble or anything like that. But this is a concern that Peter has because of what Jesus just told him. One of the ways that this happens, and I've seen it in my own life, is when we're suffering. And we look at other people, and and Peter's like, well, what about this guy? Is this guy going to suffer? Is he going to do what what he doesn't want to do? How about him? This doesn't seem fair, Jesus. When we're suffering, we tend to look and compare other people, don't we, with other people. And we say, Lord, here I am. I'm following you. I'm trying my best. I'm, I'm, I think I'm doing what's right. And you, all you keep doing is bringing all this suffering to my life. Well, look at them. What about them, Lord? They got it so easy. And we begin to compare. And as my boss in Long Creek used to say, when you compare, you despair, right? You're going to find things in people's lives that you're going to be envious of, that you're going to be jealous of, and you're going to start to question what God is doing in your own life because of what God is doing in their life. 
And that could bring us down a path that makes us distrust him. Makes us turn aside and try to do things and manage our situation in our own strength and and according to our own will. He has a very specific path for you. And that path is not going to look like the path of others. There's, of course, all of the similarities of being conformed to His image and following Him and being obedient to His commands, but in general, in in the life as a whole, our lives are going to look radically different. The, The other way in which Christians do this is the other extreme. So we either compare when we're suffering and others are not, but we also like to make people kind of look like us, don't we? We like little cookie-cutter Christians. Oh, when are you getting, you're not married yet? You're a Christian. Something wrong with you? Oh, how many children do you have? I have 18. <laughs> and, and we begin to we begin to do this, and we're like, well, God's, you know, God told me to tell you, you need 18 more kids. And we begin to create all these things. Hey, how come your ministry doesn't look like our ministry did for the last thousand years? Why are you changing these things? And we, and we have these ideas of, of what we think God is telling other people, and we're, we're, we love giving that advice. Hey, you got to keep up with me. You know, we're, I'm following Jesus. It doesn't look like you're following Jesus because you're not into the latest Christian trends or you don't like the latest Christian music or, or whatever it may be. And we judge individuals and we try to make cookie-cutter Christians. That's boring. That's not what God's about. He works with us as individuals. He worked, thankfully, right? Because Peter's got a personality. It's a big personality. John's got a personality, not as big as Peter's. He's going to work with them differently. I'm surprised Peter was a leader. But we shouldn't be because I'm a leader, right? So I mean, this goes the same. God uses strange people. People who have issues like Peter to get his work done. And, we, and he uses our personality, he shapes our personality, conforms us into his image, and that's going to look differently in different people. We need to embrace that, and if we're all keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, guess what? We're all going to keep up, right? We're going to be in this together. This is both individual and corporate. We don't want to get so wrapped up with what everyone's doing. I. I have enough problems in myself than to worry about everyone else's, right? I, there's enough work that needs to be done right here than to me to worry about John or Jane or whoever it may be. Don't get distracted. Mind your own business. Now, let, let, let Jesus work in individuals' lives. We are not the Holy Spirit to people. He's going to work in them as individuals, and He's going to do different things through different people. The church is sometimes notorious for creating little images of itself. Cookie-cutter Christians. It's not the way God works. 
Don't get distracted by the lives of others and don't get distracted by the things of this world, right? There's another way we take our eyes off Christ. Keep your eyes fixed on Him. It's funny because do you see what happened? What happened? (laughs) This just proves Jesus' point. What did the churches say? There was a rumor, right? It was gossip. Hey, did you hear? Jesus is keeping John to the end of the world. And everyone's talking about John. And the whole rumor spreads across the churches. Why? Because they were interested in John. Well, what about me, Jesus? Can I stay till the end of the world? Well, I don't know. Maybe we can all take a field trip to Patmos because I'm sure that's where John is right now. Let's ask him. It's kind of funny because that's what they do. They, they started spreading this rumor. Why? Because they're all wrapped up in everyone else's life. Our job is to stay focused on Him. We have enough issues. He's doing a work in your life right now. Yes, some of it might be through suffering. Don't take your eyes off of Him. All these things that were written, and particularly this passage, he, he ends basically where he be, began with Peter, right? He said to Peter, follow me. And the question for each one of us, are we following him? Are you following him? And if not, will you follow him? Are you you trusting in His plan for your life? Are you trying to navigate and be your own captain of your own soul? Are you walking alongside Him? Are you fellowshipping with Him? Are you trusting Him in the midst of your suffering? Do you know that He holds your times in His hands? Are you distracted by the things of this world or looking over your shoulder at what he's doing in the lives of other people? Are you following Jesus Christ? It's not a one-time decision. It's a daily exercise. Following Christ is to be our life. Following Christ means following Him on a road, not knowing where we're going. That most likely will go through trials and suffering. Following Christ means we are not the captain of our souls. I want to end on a poem. It is a redeemed version of Invictus, written by a young Christian girl who desires to follow Jesus Christ. And I think it sums up this passage and the entire gospel perfectly. Out from the night that covers him, as black as shield from pole to pole, the Son of God takes up my sin with his unconquerable soul. 
In the fell clutch of suffering, he has not winced nor cried aloud. Beneath the scourge of destiny, his head is bloody, but unbowed. Upon that tree of pain and tears, the son cries out his father's name. A final breath to quell all fears, now dead no more, his body lay. It matters not what trials await. My name is written in his scroll. He is the master of my fate. He is the captain of my soul. Follow him. Father, thank you for this truth. Help us, Lord, to follow you no matter where you lead us. Help us to keep trusting in you. Help us not to turn to the right or to the left. Help us to obey your commands. Help us to make the sole purpose of our life, to glorify you. In doing so, denying ourselves and living for the living one, Jesus Christ. Lord, help our faith. I pray that you keep our eyes fixed on your Son, Jesus Christ, until you call us home. We love and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.